listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. I am upset. I am angry. I am hungry. I am hangry. All of these things combined. I don't know what to feel today. All I want. I would like a chicken sandwich, please. Just a chicken sandwich. Can I just have a chicken sandwich without all the hoopla? You heard it in the news. Chick-fil-A has opened. The lineup is there. The protesters have been there. Everyone is upset. People are upset about the chicken. Throughout this program, we're going to be talking about the chicken sandwich, the mighty chicken sandwich. Not just the one now available in Toronto for the first time for your dining and upset, outrageous pleasure, but also a look at who has the best chicken sandwich. Do you enjoy a chicken sandwich? I like a chicken sandwich. We're going to be talking about that in our next hour, plus Bianca Andrescu. Suddenly, the world, suddenly Canada discovers tennis. Oh, wow, tennis. I love tennis. I'll tell you this quick story. I uh, do a TV show. You you may have seen it, 5.30 Global News. My co-anchor, Farah Nasser, says to me the other day, when do I need to start paying attention to this whole U.S. Open thing? And I said, if she wins, you know, if she gets to the semis, you should probably. Oh, hmm. Then last night, I checked the Twitter machine. The second that Bianca wins, Farah tweets out, Bianca! Hashtag we the North. She the North, pardon me. That's the one. So it's fantastic. It's great. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. Uh, James Boyce, the executive director of Ontario Tennis Association, is going to be with me in a couple of minutes to talk about the match, which goes on Saturday at 4. And I know you probably want to watch that, but the other thing to keep in mind is that Saturday at 5.30 is the return of Focus Ontario. Oh, baby. Oh, snap. Some of that provincial affairs TV talking heads. We like that. That's coming up. In the program, we're going to show uh, play an excerpt from this weekend's program featuring Rob Benzie from the Toronto Star and Allison Jones from Canadian Press. But first, ladies and gentlemen, I am hungry. I would like a chicken sandwich, please. Mark Carcassol is a reporter with Global News has been covering the whole chicken fillet upset people downtown. Mark, how are you? I'm good, Alan. How are you? I'm good. Have you had a sandwich? Uh, I have not, because with the job I'm doing today, that would be considered a conflict of interest. I'm a good journalist, and I don't take freebies. Well, you could pay for it. I mean, nobody is saying that you can't pay for your own chicken sandwich, sir. I could, but also... uh, You're cheap. You're a journalist. You don't have any money. I didn't want to say that much, but sure. Sure. All right, take me through what's happened down there and what's going on right now. Well, so uh, as promised, uh, Chick-fil-A opened up here at 10.30 sharp this morning uh, on Young, just a little bit south of Bloor. There was a lineup down here, Alan, since about, what, 7.30 in the morning. The lineup ended up stretching pretty much uh, halfway across the block uh, to the, the remainder of uh, the block south on, uh, on uh, Young and then uh, around the corner on the adjacent street, Hayden Street. And uh, protesters also, as promised, showed up here around 10.30, just in time for the opening. I'd say there's uh, about 100 or so protesters, give or take, uh, representatives of the 519, which are uh, some of the most well-known LGBTQ activists in the city, also representatives from Liberation Toronto, who are animal rights activists who came out here sort of for a 
a joint protest. They spent the morning out here chanting, uh, waving uh, signs. The main slogan of the protest seems to be hashtag cluck off uh, to Chick-fil-A. Oh, hold on. I said cluck. I know it's AM radio, but it was cluck. It was a clear C-L. All right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, scrawling slogans in, in chalk on the sidewalk out front. Uh, the animal rights activists actually staged a die-in at one point outside the front door. But I got to tell you, Alan, it hasn't really phased those waiting in line for food here at all. Spoke to several people who just say that, you know what, the owner of Chick-fil-A is entitled to his beliefs. And, you know, I'm entitled to uh, patronize his business if I so cho- choose. And many people have today. Uh, Mark, I, I want to play a little clip from you, uh, one of the interviews that you did this morning, Justin Cahan, and, and I'll get you to explain who he is. He's obviously uh, against uh, Chick-fil-A, but here's what he had to say in conversation with you. Being power in numbers is speaking volumes right now. It shows that we have the support of the community, the support of our allies, to not allow an organization like Chick-fil-A to open its doors in Toronto. We want to continue to fight for those most marginalized, our queer community, our trans community, our two-spirit community. This is a fight that's been going on in the U.S. for years now. It's come to our shores. I'm wondering, you know, about your thoughts when you got here this morning and saw that huge line out, out in front of people who just want chicken. Yeah, it's more than about deep fried chicken. I think I may have said that yesterday. It's the fact that there is hateful rhetoric entering the streets of Toronto. We are right next door to the Church Wellesley neighborhood where queer and trans and two-spirited individuals are living their life. Toronto is a city that's built on diversity, that's built on strength of acceptance, and we can't allow this organization to open its doors. Like I said, it's more than about chicken. It's more than about chicken. Mark Carcassol is the reporter who did that interview, joins me on the line. Mark, uh, you're hearing a lot of that from protesters. Yeah, that's sort of in the line. Uh, if you remember, Alan, I did a story looking ahead to this protest yesterday, too, and that's sort of the line. I don't know if it's a, a, a slogan that they're all sort of mimicking, but uh, that's what I heard a lot, is that it's not just about chicken. Uh, it's about hateful rhetoric. And uh, they, the way they view it, uh, when I was talking to Justin and I asked him about those people waiting in line, uh, he says he doesn't hold it against them personally for coming here and shopping at this restaurant. Uh, he feels that the people who waited here with such high anticipation in line probably don't know some of the issues behind it, some of you know, what they say are homophobic statements made by the company CEO. And he feels that the more they protest, and they plan to protest at all 15 stores across the GTA as they open over the next handful of years, he said that the more people know the issues, the less they feel people will come out to the restaurant. Now, this is a battle that's been raging in the U.S. for years now, since the statements were made in 2012, and it hasn't stopped Chick-fil-A's growth at all. They've got over 2,300 restaurants across the U.S. alone. So it's a, it's a big battle for them, and uh, I guess we'll see. Well, if, if we're taking a poll just in terms of feet, if you're counting the pairs of feet, the pairs of feet in line to eat chicken compared to the pairs of feet on the other side saying, don't shop here because you're promoting hateful rhetoric. Obviously, you know, if we're taking a poll, the the chicken lovers win. Hands down. And even if you count the poll through the morning, I mean, if you sort of stand here at the scene and look at it, you probably think it's about equal. Uh, but when you count the amount of people that have come through the line and, you know, Chick-fil-A's pretty much turning around people pretty fast. They come in, they get their chicken, and they, they get out. Uh, I would say that there's definitely been more, certainly more people here buying food than uh, than actually protesting. And a lot of people, like a couple guys who just walked by me that, you know, are walking by doing Snapchats and selfies on Instagram saying, I just bought here at Chick-fil-A, proudly displaying it. Uh, 
um, not really paying much mind to the protesters a lot of times. Outrageous! Mark Carcassol is a Global News reporter, and you can watch his report on the chicken debacle debate. I don't know what you'd call it. It's a it's a it, it's clucking a, mad. It's a chicken brouhaha, Mark. Maybe. Oh, that, uh, yeah. Let's go with let's go with that. A chicken brouhaha. I I slugged my story today as chick rally. Thought that was kind of clever. <laughs> uh, that's just my own sense of humor. All right, Mark Carcassel. Appreciate you being on the program. Thanks, man. What a game last night at the U.S. Open. Here's match point. And with that, now someone is going to make tennis history at the U.S. Open final on Saturday. If 37-year-old Serena Williams wins, she captures her 24th Grand Slam title, and that ties the all-time record. If Bianca Andrescu from Mississauga managed to pull off the upset, it will be the first Grand Slam singles title for a Canadian ever. And keep in mind that Williams won her first title before Andrescu was even born. James N. Boyce is the executive director of the Ontario Tennis Association and has known Bianca since she was 10, joins me on the line. Hi, James. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm good. Obviously, especially since this is in the United States and American commentators, and it is, after all, Serena. Right. Andrescu really is going in as a major underdog here. Well, that's probably their point of view, but uh, in Toronto, although uh, Serena defaulted after about 20 minutes, um, people forget that Bianca was up 3-1 serving, so she'd already broken Serena's serve and was serving in the match. So um, this is going to be a fight, uh, and both players are going to have to uh, guts it out. Serena's not going to have a walkover with this girl. And obviously Serena has had a fairly easy draw through this tournament, hasn't really been challenged all that much, whereas Bianca has... She has struggled. Even last night, it sort of seemed like we were going for a third set again. What do you make of how well Bianca is playing? Uh, Alan, she's playing great. I was watching the match last night at home, and she was down a double break in the second set, and I have to admit, I turned off the TV. (laughs) I couldn't take it any longer. And then some of my friends texted me and said about 20 minutes later that she'd won the match. Um, With Bianca, she's never out. It's just that it's, you know, you got to re- recognize the fact that she's 19 years old and she's never played really in a Grand Slam. So, you know, it's akin to, uh, you know, Austin Matthews playing in his first game against uh, the Ottawa Senators and scoring like, what, three, four goals in one game. All of a sudden they get put onto the main stage and these people seem to just perform. It's It's amazing. Are you going to be able to watch the finals? It sounds like you're going to be pretty. Well, I've been in, I've been invited to TIFF, and I'm supposed to go to a, one of the movies at six o'clock tomorrow. But my my friend said that uh, uh, it was okay if I didn't show up, and I'm trying to figure out how to do both because the 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 match starts at four and TIFF is at six. It's just that I get, you know, I get too excited. I, I get really into the into the match and. And Bianca's game is is so intense, and she plays with so much emotion. 
you know, you get drawn in. And I think that's what all the crowds in Toronto and I think the crowds in New York City will will start to realize is that uh, this girl plays with heart, but is she, she's extremely talented, <clears throat> very talented. James N. Boyce is Executive Director of Ontario Tennis Association. We have to let you go, James, but thank you so much for being on the program. Okay, Al. Thanks. Four o'clock on Saturday. We'll all be tense and watching television until 5.30 when Focus Ontario comes on. Because then we'll flip over to that and we'll talk more about that when we come back on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Al. many reasons to be upset because in today's day and age if we're not upset we're not alive am i right or am i right if you don't wake up in the morning and find something to be upset about what possibly is the reason to get out of bed so here now is a reason to be outraged a toronto area catholic school board says an online firestorm that erupted after a book on how to teach black students was photographed on a principal's desk stems from a misunderstanding over the book's contents. The Dufferin Peel Catholic District School Board says the book, which is titled, quote, The Guide for White Women Who Teach Black Boys, unquote, has a provocative title, but is actually a helpful resource on tackling racial and cultural oppression in education. Somebody saw the photo of the picture on the desk, and next thing you know, they're upset. Shalima Maharaj, is a global news reporter, is working on this story for us, joins me on the line. Hello, Shalima. Hi, Alan. What is this outrage all about? Well, people are calling it many different things. When they saw that title, I mean, you said it yourself. The title alone, when you see it on a bookshelf, The Guide for White Women Who Teach Black Boys, immediately that draws a lot of initial statements. And we've been talking to some professors who are also weighing in on on the controversy. And some of them say, you know what, this is actually maybe from a scholarly perspective progressive because she's actually putting a book out there on her desk and openly saying maybe i need to work on something without actually hiding it like a like a secret and so that's been one of the perspectives the other perspective is why on earth does she have that on her desk to begin with and it's placed if you look at the photograph just in the foreground of the photo so there's also some questioning about whether or not that was placed there on purpose or whether they didn't realize it was there on the desk we're actually going to be speaking with michelle catino who is the board's principal of equity and inclusive education and we actually spoke to a spokesperson this morning and they said you know what nothing untoward was meant about this we were just welcoming her in it was actually a photograph welcoming her as the new principal over at Cardinal Ambrosic Catholic Secondary School. And it was just that book, that book really, really grabbed everyone. So they said that this is actually a teaching material, something that they use right across the board. And uh, the author actually also has a wide volume of books that sort of have a similar sort of title and theme in terms of uh, teaching and, and offering assistance. So what has the school board, what do we know about what the school board has heard? Mm -hmm. Are there actually people upset about this? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they've been getting a little bit from both sides. They've been getting people who, who were just completely outraged, as you, as you mentioned earlier, people who were outraged by the fact that this book was even being used. Why do you even need to be using this book? Exactly. That's exactly what they, they were getting. But they were also getting some people who were phoning, not just here in Canada, but interestingly, um, I got on the phone and heard about uh, some of they mentioned they talked to in Connecticut who phoned, who was himself a young black male student who said that he actually appreciated that the principal was reading this book. So they've been getting it from everyone at this point. Uh, but we're always interested, of course, in hearing what everyone else has to think about this. Because, I mean, if this is being used as a teaching material board wide, then, you know, that raises an, another set of questions. So we're going to talk to the board and pose those questions to them and find out a little bit more about the book itself and the author. And we're hoping to actually connect with the author so that we can talk to him for his uh, perspective on all of the controversy that sort of uh, followed. Shalima Maharaj is a Global News reporter and it is working on this story coming up uh, tonight on Global News about this book in a picture on a Brampton principal's desk. Unbelievable. All right, Shalima, thank you so much for being on the program. No worries. You know what I think you should do is you get a copy of that book and you head downtown and you just, you do this. I would like a chicken sandwich, please. See? You got that offensive possible book, and then you got an offensive chicken sandwich, and together, all of it together adds up to one thing. Outrageous! So welcome to a kinder, gentler Doug Ford government. There are new ministers in key roles like finance, education, and children's services, a new chief of staff with political experience both as staffer and journalist, and the boss himself now seems to have dialed down the bombast. That to the delight of federal conservatives who fear the Ford effect in the coming federal election. Now, is this a true altered course or a temporary pause until Queen's Park returns? Well, Focus Ontario returns to the airwaves this weekend. And my two guests on the program are in the know when it comes to Queen's Park. Rob Benzie of the Toronto Star and Allison Jones of the Canadian Press. And here is part of our conversation. We'll start with you, Rob. Is this a true change for the government? Well, I think you had a big change on June 20th at the start of summer when, when the, the Premier shuffled 12 ministers. And seven day, 70 days after the budget, he fired his finance minister, demoted him to economic development uh, minister. Vic Fidelli is no longer the finance minister. Rod Phillips has taken over at, at Treasury. So that signals a different uh, kind of government. And then the next day, uh, the cronyism scandal breaks and Ford parts ways with Dean French, his, uh, his chief of staff. And so there's another kind of reset of the government because of that. Allison, uh, French really set the tone in the Premier's office in terms of all of this, you know, applause and, you know, all the rest of the, the tweets and all that. Do you think, has that changed now? Sure. I mean, by, by all accounts, uh, Jamie Wallace is very different than, than Dean French. He has, as you mentioned, a lot of experience both politically and on the communication side, which, as we've seen, has been one of the major struggles of this government. So if they get better at communicating their message and, uh, and not getting dragged into all these various scandals, then I think that will serve them well. What about the stickers? It seems, it seems to me that it, it is a, a lot about nothing because the Premier has said if the election goes Mr. Trudeau's way, 
then it's all over. Yeah, he said that he will not continue with the $30 million court challenge, advertising blitz, blitz uh, the pump sticker blitz, and all that others if the, the election goes the way that, I mean, the polls suggest right now that the Trudeau Liberals may get reelected. I, I don't know. A lot can happen between now and October 21st. Um, I think, though, that the gas pump stickers have been a problem for Mr. Ford because embedded in the legislation were these steep fines that they've backed off of. But when you had the, the optics of fining gas station owners, private businesses, $10,000 a day for not posting a government propaganda sticker, because it's not an informational sticker. It only shows one side of the, of the story. That's a problem. And how has the Ford government done on communication on that file, Allison? On the stickers? Um, I would say it probably hasn't gone the way they wanted it to. I mean, the, the public reaction to it has been... I would say overwhelmingly negative, and so of course the, the coverage is going to reflect that. When you get groups like the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, which you know is not some left-wing environmental activist, uh, when you get them coming out saying we have a major problem with these stickers and what it's doing to force businesses to display these and the steep fines that come along with it, when you get those kind of voices opposed to it, um, I think that's a real problem for them. I'm just trying to get my hands on a sticker just as a memento because it's... They're rare. I mean, they're, I've been around Ontario this last few weeks, and I guess he said they were put, they were posted on August 30th. So in that time, I've been on a bunch of different places and have taken some photos of gas station pumps because I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> and uh, and they're, they're vandalized. People are writing lies on, on, on the white part of the sticker, and then others are, are peeled off. Apparently, one of the problems, go figure, is that they, they decided to, they didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money on these stickers, so they spent $5,000 on 25,000 stickers, and the stickers are not, the adhesive's not that great on them, so they're easy to peel off for vandals. So that's a problem. Let's move to education from stickers, because uh, I think that this is really where a lot of eyes are, is in coming negotiations. New Minister of Education, much better communicator than the previous minister. What do we see coming down the pipe? You know, he is definitely a, a better communicator, and as uh, the OSSTF president said in a recent speech, uh, you know, he's, he's not out there suggesting that larger class sizes will make students more resilient, uh, on the one hand. But on the other hand, they're still the same policies, so I think they're still going to encounter a lot of the same problems. They're still raising class sizes, um, which is still going to pull thousands of teachers out of the system. Um, but the new education minister has given a bit of a glimmer of hope on that score. He's suggested that he's open to bargaining down that number. So for high school classes, they've said they're going to move it to an average of 28 students a class. Um, and he said that he's open in negotiations, which are happening now with all the major teachers unions, he's open to bargaining that down. So that's a little bit of a glimmer of hope. And that comes at the same time, though, as there's this legislation uh, that's, that's looming. It hasn't passed, but it's there um, for when the House returns that would cap um, public sector wage increases to 1%. So the teachers obviously will not be happy about that. Really but if there's anxiety. a chance that um, class size caps could get bargained down, that may even things out a bit. But uh, I think there's still a very strong possibility that we'll see some form of labor disruption this fall. And how will the Ford government deal with that? Very quickly, we're on a time on this. Like, 
back to work legislation, that sort of stuff? I mean, yeah, it depends when it happens. Remember, the House isn't sitting till October 28th, so they might have to come back early if there is a need for back to work legislation. But usually with, with education strikes, and we haven't had one in Ontario in a long, long time, of course, but they, they don't legislate them back to work right away. They let them try to bargain out a, 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 a resolution. But I mean, you have a new minister, Stephen Lecce, who is, I think, a lot more on the ball, perhaps, than his predecessor was, at least, and not just on communications, just in terms of like talking to stakeholders. I mean, I thought he stick handled the sex education stuff in the summer quite well, getting that, getting that new curriculum out there. And that is Rob Benzie from the Toronto Star and Allison Jones from the Canadian Press speaking on Focus Ontario, which airs this weekend on Saturday at 5.30. There's nothing else to watch on television on Saturday at that time. You may possibly be watching a Canadian possibly win a Grand Slam for the first time ever. That match goes at 4 p.m. Bianca Andrescu. And then, of course, Focus Ontario at 5.30 on Saturday. But the bonus is it also re-airs Sunday morning at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. at midnight. And I recommend watching all four. I just, that's the best way to do it. You you feel all warm and fussy. You do. When we come back, we are going to take you back downtown where we are going to eat ourselves a chicken sandwich. Outrageous! And we're going to be angry about it. This is the Global News Radio 640 Toronto program known as the Alan Carter Radio Show. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us today. Really do appreciate it. I want to bring you up to date on the latest news about vaping. We keep an eye on this, and there is a big worry south of the border. And there's a concern here in Canada, too, that a mystery illness may be spreading here. But the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is investigating about 300 cases now nationwide in the U.S. of a respiratory illness possibly linked to vaping. Here's reporter Ryan Burrow speaking with an Illinois teen who is still in hospital. 18-year-old Adam Hergenrader of Gurney, Illinois, who's been using e-cigarettes since he was 16, was admitted to a hospital last week after vomiting for days. Nothing felt wrong with my lungs. Like, I wasn't gasping for air. You know, I wasn't... I wasn't... I'm sorry. Um... I was, I was doing fine. I was just throwing up. But a scan by doctors revealed severe damage to his lung. Hergen Rader is being treated with medication and expects to be released from the hospital soon, but says doctors have told him his lungs will never fully recover. Ryan Burrow, ABC News, Chicago. And to add to that, Health Canada is warning all Canadians that vaping products can carry a risk of illness after two recent deaths in the U.S. And the federal agency is advising vaporizer users to watch out for symptoms uh, such as coughing, shortness of breath, chest pain, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. And the concern is, as you hear heard there, that we just simply don't know what is the cause. And I tell you what, if you spend any time you know, at, at events, big events downtown, I really noticed this during the Raptors run. I spent a lot of time obviously down or Jurassic Park covering the Raptors run, and I just could not believe how many people had vape pens in their hands. It, and, and, of course, and it seems to go by generation as well. I mean, you know, there are some older folks, but really, you know, 25 and under, and just vape pen, vape pen, vape pen, vape pen. So that is a big concern. All right, shall we talk chicken? 
I would like a chicken sandwich, please. Right now, you can get yourself a sweet chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A. It is now open in downtown Toronto. I have the menu in front of me here. If you would, I am just going to scroll down into the entree section and tell you that a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, just the plain one, that's five ninety nine, four hundred calories per sandwich. Now, if you want to step it up, get yourself a little cheese, lettuce, tomato, some fixins, maybe a pickle. That's a deluxe. That's going to set you back six seventy nine. Is it any good? You ask. Well, USA Today recently did a survey, and they said that Chick-fil-A comes out as the number one chicken sandwich in the United States, beating out Popeye's. However, if you go to Business Insider, this fellow, this reporter, tasted eight chicken sandwiches. And I want to read to you, as I scroll down, where it is the Chick-fil-A's original chicken sandwich This guy went with the original, didn't pony up for the extras. Here was businessinsider.com's assessment of the original chicken sandwich, which goes for, what did I say, six bucks? Bun, standard. There was nothing to write home about it. Texture. The edges were crispy, but anything touching the bun was soggy and soft. The pickles had no crunch. Flavor. It was very plain. The chicken was thick and pretty good, but not as juicy as it could have been. I missed mayo, lettuce, or tomato with Chick-fil-A. That only comes in the deluxe version. Overall, I expected more. So ultimately, I was not impressed by this sandwich. Do we have the audio of the very first person eating a Chick-fil-A? This is Amanda from this morning, the first customer in line in Toronto describing her experience eating a chicken sandwich. Oh, it was amazing. It was so good. I had the spicy deluxe chicken sandwich, and it lived up to the hype and even more, and it was way better than anything I've ever eaten. Outrageous! It was better than anything. Better than most of the chicken places I eat. Uh. Dave Woodard is Global News Radio 640 Toronto news anchor. Does that say that on your business card, Dave? Uh, yeah, it uh, says Chick-fil-A eater. No, um, it says reporter, but that's okay. All right. All right, Mr. Chicken, what do you got down there? Give me a set the scene. Well, uh, as you might imagine, it's been pretty crazy here today. It's uh, It's died out somewhat. There were probably three or four dozen protesters here uh, at the height of it. There's still quite a few here, but not nearly as many. Uh, And there's still a ton of people in the line. From uh, Bloor Street, or rather from Young Street, it's gone right around the corner. And really the line has never gotten short. And I'm sitting here standing actually uh, with uh, Batsa. Batsa, um, why don't you tell me, why why are you here? Early actually came uh, uh, a bit of typing. Okay, so you're obviously not from here. Um, where, have you ever been to a Chick-fil-A? Uh, no, it's coming back that time. Okay, so this is like a, 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 a new experience for you. You, you see the, the protesters, you see all the commotion. What do you think of that? People are allowed to voice um, their uh, uh, issues. Uh, so, both sides of the screen, you know, some people believe that you know, the organization is against LGBT rights. 
Dave, uh, Dave, I'm having some trouble actually hearing the answers here. We're just, we're, just, we're having some trouble actually hearing the actual. That, that that's okay. He's probably got chicken sandwich in his mouth. Yeah, not quite. He's uh, no, he's in line. The, the line is moving super fast, Alan. We were actually, I, I on purpose, I, I went to the back of the line because I knew that I'd be waiting for a couple of minutes to get on with you. And we're almost right near the front of the line now. So uh, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy day. Uh, anybody who I've spoken to who's eaten the sandwich says they love it. They, they, they don't really, they don't care so much about some of the other issues that I have to go around with, with uh, Chick-fil-A in itself. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, all in all, it's been a pretty peaceful day. Dave Woodard. He is Global News Radio 640 Toronto news anchor and chicken man. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you being on the program. Anytime. I would like a chicken sandwich, please. I would just like a chicken sandwich. Can I just have a chicken sandwich and hold the outrage? Could you just hold the Baptist outrage? I'm going to go with my favorite Baptist joke because, you know, I was raised Baptist. You have more than one Baptist joke? And it's, just one, it's just one joke. I tell this all the time, and it's, it, it's interchangeable. It moves. You can do anything. You just, you just insert this one line, and then the punchline is the same every time. So you say like this. You say, mm, how come Baptists don't have pickles on their chicken sandwich? It might lead to dancing. <laughs> Welcome back to the program. Are you concerned about your kids' use of a smartphone? Are your kids on their phones all the time? The conventional wisdom amongst parents is that too much smartphone use is bad for kids' mental health. And for some parents, even the term smartphone addiction connotes a fear similar to that of tobacco addiction or any other kind of drug. The more you use your smartphone, the worse your addiction becomes and more the more your mental health suffers. That's what so many of us parents believe. But a new study from the University of California, Irvin, published in August, says that that's not true. In the study, it says that it looked at how much time teens spent on their phones and tried to figure out if screen time was linked to worse mental health outcomes. They did not find a link between technology use and mental health after surveying 2,000 young people. Now, researchers also specifically tracked the smartphone use of 400 participants between the ages of 10 and 15 for two weeks. And in that process, they, they looked at mental health status and they found that technology use did not predict later mental health symptoms. In other words, just by using a smartphone now does not mean that down the road that there will be mental health issues. Now, that is a peer-reviewed study by academics. Academics are one thing. Parents are a different thing altogether. And I can tell you, as a parent, I don't care what the academics have to say. I'm concerned about the amount of usage of smartphones by my kids. And I'm specifically worried about social media use And I always am looking for ways to be able to bring in an app or something that is going to help, that is going to, because taking it away is just not an option. I know some parents are like, that's it, take it away your phone. It's not an option for me. I don't think it's healthy. I think it, it disconnects kids from their social circle. And I think you can do more harm than good. So how do we do it? Paul Davis is a social media safety expert 
and joins me on the line. Hi, Paul. How are you? What do we do in terms of getting our kids safely on social media and manage them in terms of how they use their smartphones? We only have, what, five minutes? <laughs> this is a, an hour-long topic. Look, there's so many approaches you can take, but first and foremost, I always encourage parents to make sure that children are the right age to get on social media, meaning 13. All the platforms state you will not use it unless you are 13 years of age. Parents think it's a wise idea, some parents do, to put kids on social media as young as 7, 8, 9, 10 years of age, which is a complete failure to the child because they're then becoming subjected at a young age to the drama, bullying, sexuality, racism, violence, violence associated with the platforms that they're, where they're consuming all of this material. So if you want to really take this seriously, wait until they're the right age. And now 13 is debatable, but those are the terms of service. You can say it's 14, 15. I won't argue with you, but I will at least say wait until they're the right age, which is 13. Let them be a kid for a long time, which I believe we owe to our children. Number two, do you need to empower them with a smartphone in grade five? The answer is no. The number one reason kids speak and tell me they have a smartphone is in case of an emergency. Well, let me tell you something. A flip phone will dial 911. It will make a phone call. It will send a text message. and It will cost you about $10 a month and it pays you go plan. Okay, hold so, on, hold on, hold on. But you're, you're, what you're taking out of the, the factor here, out of the equation here is the mm-hmm. I want, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need, my friends have, my friends have. And I know that probably that makes me a bad parent for caving into it, but I do. Well, this is where us as parents have to step up our game. I'm being respectful. Like, why are we caving? Did you ever negotiate with your parents growing up? I'm pretty sure the answer was no. Yes. You negotiated yes, with them? yes, I negotiated. I took out the garbage and I got to watch Battlestar Galactica in, re- in return. In return, I, I thought it was I a deal. Negotiate. I remember when I attempted negotiating with my dad. It didn't end up very well. So, you know, we put rules in place for reasons. Look, we don't want to be our children's friends. We want to be their parents. So we don't have to cave to all the requests. And listen, I've spoken to over half a million kids and over eighty thousand parents. Parents are coming in saying, "No, we're not caving." Now, some parents will cave, but if you choose not to. And if you choose to say, look, you will wait till you're the right age, we will give you as much technology as you require for educational purposes, for entertainment, but we're going to restrict it. That's the path we have to go down. Because what we're doing is if we keep conforming and doing what everybody else is doing, it's at that point that we start having bullying issues. Now, the studies are stating there's no correlation to mental health. Well, guess what? I've had mental health experts at my presentation. And here's what they said, and I quote, business is booming. So... Can we prevent a lot of it? Let them be kids. Take them off of these platforms. Let them go outside and play, you know, real human interaction. And I'm a cyber guy. I believe tech, but I disconnect. When do I disconnect? When I go to bed. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. When I speak to my audiences, there's never a device around me. When I'm having a business meeting with the principal, or the, never a device around me. So if I, who've been in IT for 28 years, if I can disconnect and not allow the technology to dominate my life, we're making excuses for everybody else saying, no, they need it. it it's a must-have. Their friends have. We're making excuses. You know it, and I know it. It's the discipline of disconnecting. I love tech, but we have to learn to disconnect. That starts with parenting, rules and guidelines. And if they fail, our children, if they fail to abide by rules and guidelines, yeah, you can take the tech away. Why would you, why would you be afraid of that? Paul Davis is a social media safety expert, and Paul, you were absolutely correct. We could spend an entire hour, the entire day, (laughs) discussing this. Thank you so much for being on the program. Reach out anytime, sir. Thank you so much. I want to take us quickly to Calgary, the Country Music Awards. The Canadian Country Music Awards are about to take place in Calgary, and Jeff MacArthur is going to be there, and he is there now and joins me on the line. Hi, Jeff. 
AC, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm outraged, you know, as per usual, because that's what you do when you work in talk radio. <laughs> what do you well, got you know, for me? I'm here to bring a little levity to the entire situation then, because uh, I landed about 12 hours ago, and i got to tell you, the vibe here in Calgary, it, it's amazing. And uh, the Country Music Awards haven't been here since uh, 2005, and uh, the city, like I said, there's, there's an electricity here. I understand you have a VIP nearby. Uh, I do. As a matter of fact, you are interrupting a power lunch that I am currently having with the mayor of Calgary, Mayor Nahid Nenshi, is right here by my side. Oh, very nice. What are you having? I hope it's a chicken sandwich. <laughs> what else? An Alberta steak, my man. Come on. Oh, no Chick-fil-A for you? <laughs> I, no, I would like a chicken sandwich, please. <laughs> no, no, it's strictly beef on the menu here in Alberta, of course. Uh, so you, you're, is this part of the whole sort of PR campaign there that, that way, or is, do you actually have a personal connection with the mayor where you're out having steak? Well, you know what? We are, uh, we're personally bonding right now over uh, beef, and, uh, you know, we're having a great time. Uh, actually, we're just shooting something for the morning show with the mayor that will uh, air on uh, Monday after the awards, uh, Sunday night on Global. Oh, very nice. Uh, could I talk to the mayor? You sure can. Uh, mayor, would you like to talk to Alan Carter? I understand totally, but here you go. Hi, Alan. Well, hello from Calgary and from the earliest uh, state in my life. Man, TV's weird. <laughs> Mayor Nenshi, thank you so much for being on the program. I appreciate that. Yeah, happy to talk to you. Uh, I, can I ask you a question about the upcoming uh, federal election? I know we've been asking our mayor about this and where he stands and if he'll throw his support one way or the other. Are you going to weigh in? Or are you going to you going to pick a pony in this race? Well, I've been at this for a long time, uh, and I know better than uh, to do that. But I also know that this is a really, really good opportunity for Canadians to make sure that the political parties and the leaders are talking about stuff that matters to us, not stuff that matters to them. And 80% of Canadians live in cities. Certainly, if I'm talking to a Toronto audience, I don't need to tell you about the incredibly important issues of housing, of transit, of reducing congestion, and frankly, I am not interested in a, a political campaign that's about smearing people, but is about mass immigration, whatever the hell that is. Um, I'm interested in knowing from these parties, what are you going to do for our everyday lives? Don't tell me you're going to make the cost of living go down. Tell me what you're going to do to ease congestion. Tell me what you're going to do to make sure our kids can afford houses in the cities that they want to live in. And so Mayor Tory and I uh, are hand in glove on this stuff, and all the mayors across the country are going to be making sure that people, that those political parties, the people who want to be our prime minister, are going to be talking about the issues that really matter to Canadians. How much country music do you really listen to? I live in Calgary, and so, of course, there are only two kinds of music, country and western. <laughs> Um, no, seriously, we have a, one of the great things about hosting the CCMAs on Canadian Country Music Week uh, this year in Calgary. It hasn't been here in 14 years, if you can believe it. And I keep saying, shouldn't it just always be here every year? This is obviously its home. But Calgary is the home to the National Music Center. Uh, we're home to the Music Mile. We're a city that runs on music every day, and it is a really great opportunity for us to highlight all of that music, mostly country this week, that goes on here and the big industry that is important to us, as it is in Toronto, of the creative arts. And uh, so it's a pretty cool time. We're having a lot of fun and kicking up our heels and wearing our boots. But it's also a great time to shine a light 
uh, on that wonderful work that happens uh, every day in Calgary. And uh, I get to dust off my uh, stampede gear and wear cowboy gear uh, for the week as well, which is awesome. Jeff over here is buying hats and boots, and uh, we're seeing how he does. Uh, I, I think... You going to teach him I, to two-step? I think the salespeople may have seen an easy mark. Um, <laughs> but uh, what, he, what he didn't understand was that he should have taken me shopping, and I would have made sure it would have been fine. <laughs> because you're a frugal guy, because that's what you got to be. Extraordinarily frugal, yes. <laughs> My reputation precedes me. Uh, but uh, we'd also make sure he had good stuff, um, which is, you know, very exciting. Because, you know, and I'll tell all of your Toronto audience, if you love music, come to Calgary. We have... Incredible amounts of music every night of the year. We have more music festivals than anywhere else in the country. We even have this very large 10-day musical festival in uh, July every year, which is the largest music festival in Canada. It also has a rodeo attached. Oh, I'm sure it's not your first rodeo. Uh, Mayor, I have got to let you go, Mayor Naheed Nanji. Oh, thanks so much. What a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much. And, of course, uh, uh, we're speaking to... Uh, the mayor from Calgary, where the Canadian Country Music Awards go this weekend on Global. Make sure you tune in for that. All right, I am out of runway. Time to get going on the way up to Don Mills. But maybe first, you know... I would like a chicken sandwich, please. Maybe I'll drop in and get myself a chicken sandwich with it. Just a little bit of side of... Outrageous! We'll see you again on Monday.